Bible as an encouragement to place the opposite spin upon that, and that is, let's remember our Bible. Let's avoid these things. Last week we talked about the fact that when we forget our Bible, our vision is blurred and we don't see the importance of God's Word and we don't see the danger of false teaching and we don't see into eternity to see ourselves standing at Judgment Day and then with God forever. This morning, let's look at another topic. A warning. Forgetting your Bible may cause self-inflicted wounds. Many of us, are aware of the fact that in the times that we were growing up, when we heard of self-inflicted wounds, most of the time that was things where a, a person actually accidentally ran through a, a glass door, didn't notice that it was there, or a hunter accidentally shot himself in the foot. And we described those emergency room visits as self-inflicted wounds. But you know, just in the last couple of years, there's a lot of talk among young people today of self-injury. You see, there are certain bands now that are doing a lot of singing about self-injury. Counselors are having to approach the topic more and more often of self-injury. It's something that is a mental and emotional disorder that some know nothing about it and others know more about it than what they would like to know. Robin describes herself in this way. 21-year-old female, 3.85 GPA, non-drinker, non-drug user, non-smoker, virgin, volunteer, competitive in college, able to teach biology, able to teach fencing, has already memorized the first 200 digits of the ratio pi. Self-injure. And then she goes on to explain that almost anyone that knows her would know all of those characteristics except the last one. Hardly no one knows that since the age of 12 she's had a favorite pair of purple scissors to inflict injury in her life, to create a pain that she can control. Counselors say that it is most often committed by individuals that have had a hardship in their life, but have not been encouraged to express that, and just the opposite, have been encouraged to never express the heartache and never be allowed to express emotion of sadness or anger. Two out of three are teenage girls that are involved in this. Most are middle class or upper middle class. Ninety percent of them have struggled with some kind of tremendous struggle in their life that they would describe as a pain they do not know how to deal with. Many have found by accidentally and others have found by learning of other cutters, as they're oftentimes described, that they can do this and they can release endorphins in their brain as like a chemical rush. And as strange as it would sound to those that have never struggled with this, it's a comfort for them. And because it involves a chemical release, it becomes very addictive, highly addictive. And now today, counselors that are talking with young people are addressing this topic on a regular basis. 
self-injures, also known as self-inflicted violence, self-mutilation. It usually involves hurting oneself deliberately in order to deal with feelings. Note, individuals that cut themselves to show others to be cool do not fall under this category. Those that pierce or tattoo other parts of their body to show that they can endure pain do not fall into this category. These are usually the ones that have cut themselves silently for years and no one knows and they intend for no one to find out. There's other kinds of injury other than just cutting. Burning, banging their head, hitting themselves with heavy objects and etc. When I learned of this, I found it surprising that there could be such a serious disorder and I knew nothing about it. So I called Bud Lambert. I said, Bud, is it real? Does it happen? What is this about? And he said, oh yes. I help deal with this on a regular basis. He said, I remember the first time I dealt with it when I was just out of school. I worked in a psychiatric hospital. And he said, I remember the first time as that girl sat there and she had hair coming down in her face and she was just bent over and holding her face and when asked why she injured herself, she described it in this way. I do it to get the pain out. And repeated it. I do it to get the pain out. This morning, I want to encourage you, if you struggle with self-injury, there's help. There's help from an almighty God and there's help from a church family that would seek to understand and support you and there's help in Christian counseling. I also want to use this as a parallel of a launching point of a lesson that we'll look at this morning and conclude it tonight. Isn't it interesting that there would be many in this auditorium that would say, I can't imagine someone cutting themselves on a regular basis and that they would find any kind of relief from that, that they could find any kind of comfort from that. How can there be comfort in pain? But isn't it interesting that those of us that struggle with sin were doing the same exact thing from a spiritual standpoint? You see, there are always consequences for sin, and the consequence for sin is harmful. And so why is it that individuals go back day after day and participate in something that is destroying them spiritually? That's causing heartache in their life and the lives of others on a daily basis, and that will separate them from God for an eternity. Before we get to the text that was so capably read this morning, if you will... Go back with me to James, the first chapter, and let's look at James, the first chapter, and then in just a moment, we'll look at Proverbs. And what we're going to do is we're going to first look at just the simple words of self-inflicted wounds. And we're going to ask ourselves, as we sin, really, who is responsible for this sin? Now, I remember as a child growing up in an era where it was said, thousands of times, and many of you know exactly what I'm talking about. I grew up in that era where people and everybody was saying, the devil made me do it. The devil made me do it. And then things happen that are critical or sad in the life of individuals today, and what do people say today? Why did God do this to me? 
Isn't it interesting that we're so quick when something happens in our life to say, it has to be somebody else's fault. The devil did it to me. God did it to me. James, teach us. Who places self-inflicted wounds in our life? Now, I know that sounds kind of strange to word it that way, but since we have a struggle with taking responsibility, let's see what James says about this word of self. James, the first chapter in verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does He Himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when... He is drawn away by, and this is a huge pronoun right here, he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. And then when desire has conceived, notice here the language is that of reproduction and of growth physically to make a spiritual application. Then when desire has conceived, and whose desire was it? It was our own desire. And so our own desire conceives and gives birth to something. It gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. James says, let me give you some simple instruction about sin. Here's how sin happens. An individual harbors a desire for sin in their life. They think about this sin. They meditate about this sin. They long for this sin, this sinful desire to be fulfilled in their life, which would make it sin. And so then the only thing they're waiting for is conception to take place. For their desire to be met with an opportunity. And when their desire is met with an opportunity, the result is it gives birth to sin. And if we as Christians don't say, that was wrong, I need to repent, I need to turn away from that. If we don't do that and we remain in that sin, it becomes full grown. And the end of that is destruction. Now, isn't it interesting that the Lord said, I want to tell you about sin. And I want to tell you about the destruction of it. And I want to tell you. It begins when you don't take control of your desires. Friends, if I am serious about cleansing myself from sin, I have to be serious about cleansing my heart. I cannot spend all of my time blaming God. I can't spend all of my time blaming Satan. I must take responsibility for my heart and depend upon God and realize that it's only by God's grace that I can have forgiveness but it's my responsibility to change what dwells in my heart. Now that's one aspect of looking at this from our responsibility. Let's turn over to Proverbs, the 13th chapter, and let's look at this idea of self-inflicted wounds from the idea of, does sin really hurt anybody? You know, that's the thing that is amazing, how Satan is one that is the chief of deception. He can fool us better than anybody can fool us. And one of the things that Satan does in his deception is he leads us to believe that really it's not going to hurt anybody. You can tell this lie and there'll be no consequences. You can cheat and there'll be no problems. You can deal unfaithfully in this relationship and nobody will be hurt. On and on and on the lies that there's no consequences of sin. Well, let's hear what God has to say about the consequences of sin as we see a principle that's given here in the Old Testament, but it would remain true throughout the New Covenant. Proverbs, the 13th chapter. Let's listen to verse 13, 14, and 15 as we study God's Word together. He who despises the Word. Now, what's the theme of all month long? Forgetting the Bible? See, here's someone that they didn't just forget the Bible. They said, I don't want to remember it because I don't like it. 
How many times have we heard people say, well, I don't like going to church because they always talk about things I ought not do. Was that idea that says, I don't want to hear the Word of God because I don't want to keep the Word of God because I despise the Word of God. The Word of God reveals that I can't have it my way. I have to submit my life to one that's greater than me. And so here he writes in 13, he who despises the Word... Now, is it going to say that he's going to be blessed? Is it going to say he's going to have a great life? Is it going to say he has a great eternity? Of course not. He who despises the Word will be destroyed. But he who fears the commandment will be rewarded. The law of the wise is a fountain of life to turn one away from the snares of death. Let's pause here for just a moment. Can you imagine being a soldier out in a a jungle uh, environment and there's a guide and as you're about to turn to the right there's a deadly snare that if you took one more step your life would be taken. And the guide immediately notices that and says, step to the left. Hey, I'm a big boy. I've been to boot camp. I've done my training. I'll step where I want to step. Thank you very much. Destruction. What if that individual listens to the guide? turns away from the snares of death. Do you realize God never asks anything out of us because He can? You know, like that substitute teacher in school that just gives busy work just because they can? Everything God asks of us is because it's right and best for us. If God says don't step to the right, it's because it's right and best for us not to step to the right. We're going to avoid destruction. We're going to avoid heartaches. If he tells us to step to the left, it's because our life is going to be blessed, because there's going to be blessing in relationships, there's going to be blessings on this earth, and there's going to be blessings for eternity, and that's most important. And so here, he says, look at the ones that don't love the Word of God. Their life is full of destruction, their life is full of snares. Now get this last verse. Parents, if your children don't know this verse, you've done an injustice to your children. We must know this verse inside and out. Verse 13. Good understanding gains favor, but the way of the unfaithful is hard. I grew up hearing that quoted in the King James, and I heard it probably no less than once every few weeks all of my life. The way of the transgressor is hard. Oh, my life's so difficult. My life's just falling to pieces. I don't understand why my life has gotten to this low. Have you been living for God? I can't live opposed to God and expect an easy life. Now that doesn't mean that sometimes when we feel in the pit of life that our own sin has brought that on us. Job is a perfect example of that. He went through a low, low time in life, and it wasn't because of his sin. But we must be willing to take responsibility and say, if I sin, I have to, res- I have to expect difficult days, period. God designed it that way. God will allow it to play out that way. God will not change His original design of mankind and of this universe. What is the way of the transgressor? It's hard. There's going to be self-inflicted wounds. Who's responsible for that? 
James says self is responsible for that. Friends, we can avoid a lot of pain in our life if we decide to remember the Word of God every day and submit to it. Let's go back for just a few minutes here and let's look at a few examples from Saul. When we go back to 1 Samuel, the 10th chapter, and drop back and read verse 22, we read about a time where Saul was irresponsible. You remember in the previous verses, he had been anointed king, and it was time to announce to everybody, this is the new king. Now you may remember, several months ago, we had a lesson on fear, and how fear stops us, hinders us from doing what's right. And we use this as one of the texts when we studied that. And so we'll just mention it again this morning. And so as we think about self-inflicted wounds, what are some of the self-inflicted wounds? We see that fear creates a self-inflicted wound, and that self-inflicted wound is irresponsibility. Sometimes we struggle as fathers, being the father we ought to be, because we're afraid we're going to, what? Look bad to our peers? We're afraid we're going to appear to be overzealous. We're afraid, we're afraid we're going to have to give up some of our free time that we want to do some of the things we want to do if we really commit ourselves to being a Christian father. We're afraid we're going to have to give up some sinful habits if we really commit ourselves to being that Christian spouse, that Christian parent. What are we afraid of? Whatever that fear urges us, to duck away from responsibility. And here's what we read in the 22nd verse. Therefore they inquired of the Lord further. It was time to present Him. They couldn't find Him. Has the man come here yet? And the Lord answered, There He is, hidden among the equipment. It was time to present the king, but He couldn't be found. He was hiding back in the equipment room. It's time for you and I to live a Christian life. It's time for you and I to stand up and to be the members of this congregation that God has designed us to be. It's time for us to be in our workplace as God has designed for us to be. It's time for us to be the members of our family as God has designed. Now Satan is going to immediately say to us, Oh, I'm afraid. What if this happens? I'm afraid. What if this happens? This morning, let's remember the Word of God. And let's be what God wants us to be. And not allow fear to stop that. Fear is inviting a self-inflicted wound of irresponsibility. Let's go over just a few pages. 1 Samuel, we look at the 13th chapter. 1 Samuel, the 13th chapter, now Saul is king. And by the way, I I suppose you note as we're going through here, Saul is an example of one that, that really destroyed his life when we look at the potential that God gave him, he destroyed his life with self-inflicted wounds. Uh, he, is, he is a tremendous study for us to look at, see what could we be or what might we fail to be. Here was a good-looking man. He stood head and shoulders above everyone else. He was a man that God says, you have the potential to be awesome. You have the potential to be a great king. And from the very beginning... He brought hardship into his life. Well, here's another example of it. The enemies were surrounding him. When we look in 1 Samuel, the 13th chapter, verse 5, we see that there are 30,000 chariots. Try to imagine that. 30,000 chariots surrounding him. We read of 6,000 horsemen, all these are the Philistines. And then the people of the Philistines surrounding them are so numerous, there are sands of the seashore, they cannot be counted. He's getting nervous. 
How are they going to fight all these people? He wants to make a sacrifice to God, but Samuel's not there, and Samuel was to be the only one that would make this sacrifice to God. He waits for the time that Samuel says he would come, but yet Samuel has not come at the time that he thought he should have come. And so we read about him in 12 and 13 making this sacrifice to God, and then we read finally of Samuel coming right after this and asking him why he would make an unlawful sacrifice. It wasn't right for him to do that. Notice his answer in verse 12. Then I said, The Philistines will now come down on me at Gilgal, and I have not made supplication to the Lord. Therefore, I felt compelled and offered a burnt offering. You can imagine Samuel, in other words, saying, Saul, you defied the Word of God. You did not have a right to offer that sacrifice. Why did you do that? Well, I felt compelled to do it. How many times have we offered excuses like that? How many times have we heard excuses like that? You know this is wrong. Well, I just felt like it would be right this time. Well, I know it was wrong, but I just felt like there was nothing else to do. What are we doing when we make those decisions that says, I don't want to remember the Word of God. Forget the Word of God. This is what I feel like I have to do right now. What we're doing is inviting a self-inflicted wound. We're going to be able to look back on that and say, I made a terrible mistake. And I'm paying the consequence for that mistake right now because I have invited hardship into my life. Why? Because the way of the transgressor is hard. Well, I can blame Satan. I can blame my spouse. I can blame God. No, it's our own desire that leads us into sin. We have to blame ourselves for those. Let's close this morning with one more example. And by the way, we will take this chapter and develop this chapter much more fully tonight as we consider more of this same topic and see several ways, several self-inflicted wounds just in this one chapter of, verse, of chapter 15. When we look at the defiance that was caused by his greed. Let's read these two passages that have already been capably read for us. 1 Samuel, the 15th chapter. Notice the direct command in verse 3. 1 Samuel, the 15th chapter, verse 3. See how clear this is. Now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, infant, nursing child, ox, sheep, camel, and donkey. Pretty easy to understand. Did he do it? Let's skip down and read verse 9 again. But Saul and the people spared Agag, and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good, and were unwilling to utterly destroy them. By everything despised and worthless, that they utterly destroyed. You see greed involved here? Okay, God, you said utterly destroy everything. I tell you what, we're going to keep the best of everything and we'll only destroy the things that aren't any good. What did they do? They did it the way they wanted to do it. Did they want to take back all the, the things that were of no good of a nation? No, they wanted to destroy those things. Well, did they want to keep everything of value? Yes, they wanted to keep it. So what did they do? Greed. Greed caused them to do it their way. Some of you this morning at the introduction probably said to yourself, I can't imagine anybody cutting themselves to find some kind of comfort or pleasure. Some of you saying that probably can identify with it much more than what you think. Let's close this lesson this morning by going to 1 Timothy, the sixth chapter, 
and see where the Lord spoke of cutting. The Lord spoke of cutting. And this was not to control something on the inside that was aching so much. Well, let's just see what the cutting was. We're in 1 Timothy, the sixth chapter. Uh, Let's quickly make this point here. Verse 6. Now, godliness with contentment is great gain. So that's the real gain in life, godliness and contentment. We brought nothing into this world, and it's certain we can carry nothing out. Having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. For those who desire, there it is again, back to our desire. For those who desire to be rich, fall into temptation. Imagine a pit, and you look down in it, and you say, whoa, look at all the riches. It's a deception working here of Satan. Look at all the riches, and that's what my heart has always wanted. I've always wanted those. It doesn't matter what the cost. Jump into that. Who would fall into that temptation? Those that has that desire in their heart. Someone else would walk up and say, my heart is set upon God. My heart is set upon contentment. They look down in that pit, and they say, oh, there's a lot of hardships in that pit. I'm glad I know the Word of God so that I can avoid that. Those that do not know the Word of God cannot see what the reality of that pit is. Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kind of evil for which some have strayed from the faith. How? In their greediness. They've strayed from what they ought to be. They've strayed from the faith. Because of their greediness, what did it do? And pierced. There it is. Lord says, I can tell you about people that cut themselves on a daily basis to try to find something in life. They're hunting for something that matters. They're hunting for something that will make them feel good. Pierce himself through with many sorrows. We teach our children at a young age, just cut yourself and bleed a little bit and you'll feel better. You know, you've got to have a certain shoe, a certain label. And that way, whenever kids get to be teenagers and their peers are giving them a rough way to go, if you can take them to a mall and buy a new outfit, it'll be better tomorrow at school. You know, when your peers at work are giving you a hard way to go, you can just buy a new car and show them. You know, if you're having a problem with acceptance, you can move into another neighborhood and that'll put everything back in order. Do we really believe that things that material things are going to bring a comfort to our life? If we do, we believe in cutting. We believe that something other than God can bring comfort to our life. We believe that something other than God can bring a peace that passes understanding. You name the sin, and if we think that can bring something good to our life, we believe in a spiritual cutting. This morning, I hope we don't believe in physical or spiritual cutting. I hope we understand that sin is self-inflicted wounds that we need to avoid. A man was going through the zoo in, in Russia. And he saw, he was one of the first ones there that morning, and he saw in the bear cage a beautiful lamb and couldn't believe it. And mentioned to the guide, I've never seen anything like this. Look at this peaceful coexistence. The, the lamb and the bear. Does, does this happen every day like this? This is, this is awesome. And the guide, realizing the person's surprise, says, oh yes, it happens every day here. It's just we put a new lamb in every day. 
You want a peaceful coexistence with sin? Just expect a new wound every day. It's not going to happen. This morning we extend the Lord's invitation. Please turn away from sin. Do it for God, but realize you're the one that will receive the greatest blessing. And those that your life impacts will receive the greatest blessing. It's time to stop the pain. It's time to turn to the great physician, the one that can offer healing. Be responsible. Don't duck the responsibility. Stand up and turn to Him. If you need to be baptized into Christ or if you need to ask for prayers and forgiveness of sins, if we can help you in any way, come as we stand as we sing.